Welcome to Fashion by Dad, the land of the surreal where Castella meets curls, folk meets metal, and oxymoron meets juxtaposition. Each week, a theme. This week's theme? Fire. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar. If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire From January 1967, The Doors Come on, baby, light my fire Come here 55 years ago Well, when you're as old as I am, that's just like yesterday. If only I had recorded, I'd be bringing you Gagroyan chants, madrigals from medieval England and other things from my past. This is Fashion by Dad. I am Jeff Ebbs. When I was a boy, well, much younger than I am now, sometime in the 19th century, my family were Rechabites. The poster on our farmhouse wall pictured Jesus with sheep, a family and mountains of produce. You can find a similar pic on the Facebook page, Fashion by Dad or F by Dad, Instagram or fashionbydad.com. So the Rechabites, a temperance association. We burned down the tents of sly grog sellers and ran them out of town. My great-grandmother cross-stitched a poem about smashing the bottles of the sly gypsy who came to town with a dray loaded with grappa. What a fire it made, that dream and drink, the flames of hell and what a stink. We ran the devil out of town in the clothes he wore without a crown. <laughs> Grandma. And, of course, in those days, without a crown, meant broke, not a zack to his name, skint, not a brass razoo, penniless. A crown was an ounce of silver worth five shillings. Not that it was traded much in day-to-day transactions by the time that Vicky was on the throne. The time that Vicky was on the throne, yes, when the grogger was run out of town. I think the Chaplin family kept the horse and the Sabirs the dray. The Fleming savaged a couple of bottle boxes of grog or a couple of bottles of grog bottles of boxes and they changed hands in very dark places on moonless nights like tonight one night off the new moon solar eclipse in the northern hemisphere if you're listening in latvia uh, but i won't talk about the flemings and their sly grog theft in case the reputation of their descendants is smeared and besmirched by the truth. Four, triple, Z. You're listening to Four Triple Z. And on Four Triple Z, you are listening to Fashion by Dad. The theme of this episode, the first episode of Fashion by Dad, is fire. The first of four elemental themes: fire and air, water, earth. And we're yarding about a few fire stories through the episode. Falling in the fire pit, deadly drunk. Terrible thing to do. Last time I heard that mentioned on Triple Z, the lines ran hot with people sharing stories about falling in fire pits. Must be the thing to do. Anyway, while we are on the theme of yarning about fires, it's time for a story time story. One of the regular segments here on Fashion by Dad. What is the law of the jungle? So settle closer, dear listening creature. That's you. It's time for a story time story. What is the law of the jungle? Strike first and then give tongue. By thy very carelessness, they know thou art a man. But be wise, go down quickly to the men's huts in the valley 
and take some of the red flower which they grow there, so that when the time comes thou mayest have even a stronger friend than I, or Balu, or those of the pack that love thee. Get the red flower! That's Rudyard Kipling in the Jungle Books. Bagheera the panther advises Mowgli on surviving the judgment of the wolf pack. As a wild animal, Bagheera is not aware of mankind's many maxims regarding playing with fire. The red flower is a dangerous friend. So the action moves to Mowgli following Bagheera's advice. Listen, you, he cried. There is no need for this dog's blabber. Ye have told me so often tonight that I am a man, and I feel your words are true. He flung the firepot to the ground, and some of the red coals lit a tuft of dried moss that flared up, and all the council drew back in terror before the leaping flames. What ye will do and what ye will not do is not yours to say. The matter is with me. And that we might see the matter more plainly, I, the man, have brought here a little of the red flower, which ye, dogs, fear. Mowgli thrust his dead branch into the fire till the twigs lit and crackled and whirled it above his head among the cowering wolves. Thou art a master, said Bagheera in an undertone. I am your ancient host, Jeff Ebbs, the archetypical dad, Peter Familiaris, the stale, pale male, and we're talking very, very pale, Petros, patron, daggy dad, Peter, dear old dad. So stay tuned, news lot. Listen to me, listen to me. Among the fire theme songs this week, I've got a slew of regular segments. Uh, we're going to do a weekly cover of Nothing Compares to You, starting off. Uh, in this episode, we'll end this episode with Prince's original 1984 demo of Nothing Compares to You. When I was a boy, quite as old as Methuselah, he lived 900 years, you know. Uh, genre bender of the week. I said in the opening that one of the juxtapositions is folk meeting metal. So you'll have some folk metal. Genre bender of the week. Uh, time for a story time story, which we just heard. Mowgli brandishing his dried branch to cause the wolves to cower. Uh, great notion. Great notion every week. Uh, this week's might be a. Uh, oh, well, we'll wait until the great notion rolls around. And the blazer of glory. Blazer of Glory is a blast from the past, a nod to fashion on Fashion by Dad. And tonight's Blazer of Glory will be the cloak of King Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. We're talking Harry of the Six Wives and somewhat tubby build. I was younger then. Uh, but we leap ahead. Four triple Z, four triple Z, four triple Z, four triple Z, four triple Z. <laughs> You are immersed in fashion by Dad, and I am your dad in a non-creepy way. I'm not offering you a commitment ring, which you will wear until I approve your marriage partner. No, no, no. I'm here inside the singularity, and you are out there experiencing it through your device. That's nice. I am your host. My name is Jeff, and I mentioned earlier that my 19th century family were Rechabites and pyromaniacs. Yep, they were also farmers, and while not originally proposed to mechanical devices, they owned none. There was no electricity in the house. We used to have little kerosene lamps that you, you pumped up, and the kerosene ran through a little pipe that was heated up by the flame, so you had to start it by pouring some metho or something to heat the whole thing before it got going. Uh, the cows were milked by hand in a hand-split wooden shed and during the 20th century a neighbour's truck took the goods to market. So it might not sound like there was a lot of fun in this teetotaling, candle-lit, hand-butter-churning existence, but we did enjoy a good burning. In fact, 
introducing the self-proclaimed original temperance society earlier in this episode. I told you about a liquor salesman being run out of town without his takings, tools of the trade or stock. In fact, he barely had the clothes he stood up in. As a friendly society, the independent order of Rechabites was fairly fierce, a fairly fierce friendly society. Uh, My uncle broke his son's hand with a strap. He didn't mean to break his hand, he was just punishing him. But then he denied him medical attention. Stop whimpering, boy, you got what you deserved. My cousin was lucky that the cricket coach slid him into the doctors when... Old man Payne the third was up a cherry tree picking. Every November, every November, remember, remember the 5th of November, we had a huge bonfire. Uh, there were a few, there were dead trees dotted around the property that had been ring barked. Uh, if you are familiar with Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu, uh, you will know that the trees were fairly well spaced across the Australian countryside thanks to the farming practices of the First Nations people so that the settlers like my great-great-grandfather there had a pretty easy time turning it into farming country but they ringbarked those trees and then when we wanted to burn one down they dragged logs and things around to the tree which was the next one to be burned out of the ground, piled the trees up against the, or piled the logs up against the still standing tree, build a huge bonfire, easy the height of two or three humans, and then we would wait for Guy Fawkes Night, the 5th of November, and set fire to the lot, with lots of fireworks, up until health and safety became a thing, and the 5th of the November was cracker night right across the empire. And to make sure that the night went off with a bang, my pa would take an old chaff sack, stuff a pound of gunpowder, that's a couple of handfuls, 450 grams for you metric mob. So he'd stuff a pound of gunpowder into the corner of the sack and wrap it tightly with a hemp rope. So the first circle would tie off the hemp sack so that the gunpowder was locked in the corner and then he'd um, wrap the rope around and around until he had a ball of tightly wrapped rope with a ball of gunpowder inside it and that little bomb would become the head of the effigy of Guy Fawkes and that effigy would be mounted at the top of the pyre roped to the tree that was going to be burned out of the ground and at sunset we'd light the fire and a couple of hours later after we'd finished blowing off our thumbs and setting fire to each other's boots by dropping penny bungers in them, the flames would reach Guy Fawkes' feet and we'd stop our shenanigans to watch him burn. I put a picture of a bonfire in England in 2019 with Guy Fawkes atop a bonfire, so you know what I'm talking about. That tradition has been going on since 1605. It was still fashionable to burn Catholics at the time, especially among Rechabites. The general opinion was that if you're going to drink something flammable like alcohol, you're pretty well asking for it. So the flames would lick at the effigy's feet. Eventually he would catch fire and we'd watch and wait for the head to get so hot that it'd explode. At that point, the tree that Guy Fawkes had been tied to would blow in half or you know, get damaged somehow, bits would fall off into the fire, the fire would be spread all over the place, burning logs knocked hither and thither, and uh, we'd all drag the burning logs back into the fire and celebrate another death to the tormentor for the following reasons. Guy 
My folks grew up in the city of York, a Catholic born and raised. He had all sorts of names for England's King James, a man of the Protestant faith. Guy met Robert Catesby, who hated to see a Protestant rule from the throne. They hatched a plan, he'd go out with a bang, then they'd find a king of their own. Catesby and Fawkes and their other cohorts plotted to axe those in power. Under the floors of the House of Lords, they hid barrels full of gunpowder. They should have known better, someone sent a letter that warned of what they had planned. Fawkes was soon caught, the plot came to naught, and Guy was soon known across the land. Fawkes paid the price for the violence and vice, and King James continued his reign. He pledged to remember the 5th of November and see it wouldn't happen again. So this bonfire night as the fireworks take flight, think how differently things could have gone. If Guy hadn't been found with the barrels underground, who knows what that blast might have done. So remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder treason and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder treason and plot. We see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Yes, it's hard to imagine in these times of Halloween, religious tolerance and zero tolerance for danger, how central the ritual of blowing things up was in Australian culture. November the 6th, the day after Guy Fawkes Day, was a day of comparing injuries and tour tales of property damage. Probably have to devote an entire episode of Fashion by Dad to Fireworks Night at some stage, so I can tell you about the asbestos bombs. Oh, yes the asbestos bombs little did we know uh, and homemade cannons well we knew what we were doing in that case um, also interesting that gunpowder plot song and the nature of the propaganda Guy Fawkes in fact wasn't a ringleader of the plot he was a mercenary hired he was a powder monkey he knew how to use gunpowder he was paid by the rebels to light the um, the barrels Also interesting that while they were after the king, King James, they were blowing up Parliament. So, of course, King James was opening Parliament. That's why they were doing it. But you're blowing up the centre of democracy to get at the royalty that you despise. So a few little twisted things there. Um, The persecution of Catholics in Australia was still quite real, Um, until about 1820, Catholics weren't counted in the Australian census. took a lot longer before we counted the original inhabitants of the country, sadly. But anyway, prejudice was a real live and well. And uh, my Rechabite ancestors were among some of the firmer upholders of their beliefs. In fact, that whole temperance society thing meant that the eastern suburbs of Melbourne still to this day don't have many pubs. There were a few big pubs that got licences, obviously uh, large land-holding Protestants who liked to tipple and were able to get around the rules and they became huge pubs which uh, you had to drive to, of course, and the fights in the car park on a Friday night was something to behold. Uh, but that uh, led to some of the characteristics of the Melbourne rock scene because you had to play in these huge barns where about 1,200 people would be sitting having dinner. You'd be in one corner. So that big Melbourne rock sound of ACDC and so on grew out of that unexpected consequence of the temperance society's attitude towards drinking. Guy Fawkes Night, sadly missed. Halloween is not a patch on it. You're on Fashion by Dad with me. Your dad. Jeff Ebbs. So, on this first episode of Fashion by Dad, we've been talking about man's red flower. The fire has the power. 
Um, interesting thing about fire, it's the fundamental technology enabler. So once we found fire, we learned how to tame fire, we could cook food, boil water, split rocks, harden metal, melt the metal out of minerals, shape metals, make tools, make machines. So the internal combustion engine has completely dominated the last century of civilization. It's probably been the pinnacle of the fire-based culture and its age is past. The electrification of transport has begun. Now that's just thinking about the physics, the heating, the melting points, the role of fire. Let's look at the chemistry though. The sun shines on plants. The plants use the sun's energy uh, to join water and carbon dioxide together and that's how they get complex carbohydrates. Humans and other animals, that's right, remember we're all animals, eat the complex carbohydrates and extract the energy stored there by the plant. So we're eating the sun's energy as stored by a plant. Mmm, yum. Now, as we consume that energy, we breathe out carbon dioxide and water. So, exactly the same thing happens in fire. So our living bodies are like little slow-motion fires, returning the sun's energy to the atmosphere. So the rise of fire, the rise of the red flower, has been the rise of civilization and the rise of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's why... The end of fossil fuels is needed. That's why we have to end the use of fossil fuels to end the climate crisis. The decarbonisation of society has begun. And that's just breathing. That's just the carbon dioxide. Wait until we get to methane. <laughs> methane. Everyone loves a good fart jerk. By Dad. By dad. By dad. I'm bad. I'm dad. And you are on Fashion by Dad on 4ZZZ.org.au. Here on Fashion by Dad, where we love to put together the odd and the unusual. And we'd like to delve back into the past to reflect on the future. I promised a little earlier that we'd have a segment called The Blazer of Glory, a blast from the past, a nod to fashion on fashion by dad, fashion gone wrong, design out of control, costume with attitude enough to put the world off kilter. So this episode's Blazer of Glory gives the name to Hilary Mantle's third and final volume in the Henry VIII trilogy. I guess you'd probably call it the Thomas Cromwell trilogy, but we all know Henry VIII and who knows Thomas Cromwell. Turns out he was the great-grandfather of um, Oliver Cromwell, the Republican who beheaded King Charles. So we heard a little earlier about Guy Fawkes, 1605. Henry was in the century before that, middle of the century before that. So we went through Edward, Elizabeth, a little stint from Mary before we get up to the actual Republic of Oliver Cromwell. Turbulent times. Death for religious beliefs. The English trying to take over the Ireland of Ireland which of course had a big impact on the settlement of Australia since all the political prisoners, anyone who made any trouble at all was chucked in a boat and sent as far away to the other side of the world as they could. So in the court of King Henry VIII, all of this was just a sort of twinkle in a randy old prince's eye. Movable type had been invented Luther, Martin Luther, had nailed his challenge to the Pope on the door of a German church. And Henry, competently manipulated by Cromwell, approved an English-language Bible. So English was being spoken in the court for the first time. 
We think about the contribution that Shakespeare made to the English language, having invented something like, well, a huge percentage of our clichés and maxims. But it's not that he invented them, it's just that he was the first person to record them. English was not the official language. The court spoke Latin and French. It's the Normans, the Norsemen, the men from the north, the old Vikings who'd settled in France, started to dominate the world on horseback in armour, had taken over England and French was the court language. So, an English Bible, English spoken in the court, not paying taxes to Rome, taking over the assets of the church, courting and even marrying Protestant Germans. So that's the era that we're talking about. Now, the book that I mentioned, Hilary Mantle's third volume in the Henry VIII trilogy is called The Mirror of Light. The Mirror and the Light, which was the description that Cromwell gave to Henry when he saw Henry wearing the blazer of glory, that is, the royal crimson cloak edged with ermine, and pictured for you, dear listener, on facebookbydad.com or the Facebook page, F by Dad, or Instagram. So the picture shows big tubby Henry VIII staring straight down the barrel of the canvas uh, with a crimson cloak edged in ermine, worn over a silver blouse and doublet and adorned with diamond-crusted bling. From the book. When the king sees the mural Hans has painted, he says nothing. It is not for him to thank a mere artist, but he glitters, not merely augmented, but enhanced. The queen stands by him and his hand steals out and rests on her belly, as if testing what he finds there, as he has many times in the last few days, while she holds her breath and wonders why. If she shrinks a little now and averts her eyes, it is from the man on the wall, from his fist planted on his hip, from his hand on the pommel of his dagger, from his belligerent gaze, from his straddled legs, unbandaged calves bulging with muscle, from his bejeweled manhood with a bow tied on top. By the saints, you are right. Hans whispers, when you said I should turn him to face us. He seems awed by his own creation. Jesus, Maria, he looks as if he would spring out of the frame and trample you. I wish France could see this, Henry tells the company, or the emperor, or the king of Scots. There can be copies, Majesty, Hans says modestly, mirrors of his lively image ever larger more active with every telling. Come, Jane, the king plucks his eyes away. We are done here. Time to be off to the country. And indeed, if you look at the painting, his manhood is remarkably presented with a bow on top and bejeweled. Uh, So time passes. Jane dies giving birth to Edward, who will briefly be king a bit later on. France and Spain joined forces and threatened England. A new wife, the fourth, Anna the German, a political marriage to head off the Catholics. Unfortunately, Henry can not get it up. The bejeweled manhood is not functioning as well as it should be. The male heir is not apparent and the court is in turmoil. So, Cremuel, Henry says, I hope you will not run away to Charles, but stay. Henry's eyes are on his portrait of himself, massive, on the wall of the chamber. His own eyes, Cromwell's, consult the image of his master. What would I want with the emperor? Were he the emperor of all the world? Your majesty is the only prince, the mirror and the light of other kings. Henry repeats the phrase as if cherishing it. The mirror and the light. Every now and then we have a great notion, great notion 
name of a great book by Ken Kesey set in the northwest of the United States, Oregon, on the river. A line from the song, Good Night, Irene, is Tom. Tom Waits, sometimes I get a great notion to jump in the river and down. Well, my great notion on this episode of Fashion by Dad is an invention. Hasn't been invented yet. I'm passing it on to you, dear listeners, so that you can invent it. Now, we've seen all sorts of great uh, material advances in material science that take the energy from sunlight and convert it into electricity, for example. Just think about solar rooftop panels. Now, just imagine if we had a material that worked as a heat pump and absorbed the sun's energy and that energised the particles to transfer the heat to the side on which the sun is falling. So that side got incredibly, incredibly hot and the other side got cool. So not just a material that naturally protects the insides from the sun heat, but actually makes the inside cooler. So it's a sort of like a rock that's a fridge. And if you think that's bizarre, just imagine what someone from 900 years ago. Let's say you were Methuselah and you were 900 years old and you found a modern phone. It's essentially a piece of polished rock, a piece of glass, and you can whisper it in it and talk to someone on the other side of the world. You can touch the surface of it and call up any movie that's ever been made. What a piece of magic that is. Now, all we're talking about is a rock that gets cold on one side and hot on the other. Energised by sunlight. Entirely possible. Then imagine that you can use this material to make bricks and you can build buildings in hot places. So, globe's going to get hotter. Wouldn't it be nice to have a brick that made things cooler? Then we could build air-conditioned buildings without having to use any more energy. That's my great notion. So I'll leave that with you, dear listener. Might be a object for the Northern Development Association. In fact, I pitched it to a conference of Northern Development Ideas, but 
they said they were looking for ideas that could be proven to work, not speculative ideas. <laughs> oh, well, you can't help. Don't be old dad having bright ideas sometimes.
stronger body hour Power to the people, the people got the power Tell me can you feel it getting stronger body hour Don't watch the news, be the news 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 Don't watch the news the news be the news don't wait for the movement move don't watch the news be the news indeed a fine sentiment from pete the temp pete the temp.co.uk he announces his real name there is peter bearder I'm guessing that's the name he was born with, Mr. Beer, Mr. and Mrs. Bearder, were his mum and dad. The film clip that goes with that has a lot of protesters running for a coal mine being chased by police. Uh, Pete the Temp here on 4ZZZ.org.au. You're listening to Fashion by Dad. Uh, now, before that, we heard Alice Spina slipping away, a new Brisbane artist. I've uh, linked her latest Facebook post to the Fashion by Dad, F by Dad, Facebook page. Not that that's an endorsement of Facebook. Just like walking on a road isn't an endorsement of cars or even driving on a road, not necessarily. We fall into the habits of the society that we live in. Now, a bit of context for what's coming up. Um, The year is 2007. Kevin Rudd is running the Kevin07 campaign. Your host, Geoffrey Ebbs, is running a comedy character, Giovanni Abono, for politics in the seat of Richmond in northern New South Wales. So Giovanni Abono is a radio star, ran a show called The Generator. We still hear The Generator news here on 4ZZZ FM on Eco Radio, midday on Wednesday. And uh, Giovanni Abono, the aspiring politician, spoke at the Byron Peace Day rally. You know, the sort of thing, a bunch of people get together. Anyway, Giovanni Abono, the comedian, couldn't help commenting on it. Ah, comedy's not always political, politically correct. So, here's a language and concept warning. Warning! Some offensive language and concepts may be used in this song, so if you don't like it, tune out. Some very, very weird gigs. I was at the uh, Byron Peace Day the other day, and um, you know, a couple of politicians paddling on about the importance of the Byron Shire to the Iraqi situation. <laughs> <laughs> National Party and the go you two mates are going to knock China into line. <laughs> the uh, day shaped up like most of those Peace Day rallies do. You know, I mean, the amount of friction in the fire and peace movement, I reckon they probably had something we, you know, could contribute to the conflict. <laughs> You would have followed it in the letters column of the Echo. They're our peace flags. No, they're not. They're ours. No, they're ours. Racing, fascist, want to fight about it. So uh, the traditional owners were traditionally late. <laughs> the mayor left because she didn't want to be photographed fanning the peace flame on a total five and <laughs> Feather Dawn started a uh, chant to send good vibes to the Gaza Strip. 
Would the mother be Israelis wouldn't participate? <laughs> Greenpeace had this uh, huge white plastic elephant there, powered by a compressor, powered by coal-fired electricity. It was about you know an hour and a half after we were supposed to start that we finally got all of the politicians lined up in the hall with an audience you know, ready to listen to why the Byron Shire is important in the hierarchy. <laughs> All of a sudden, 25 women in white robes descended on us. Now, they weren't pistol virgins, they were the peace choir. Holy shit, I thought. I hope we've got enough toilet paper. So I'm standing out the front, and the um, boss angel. The boss angel. <laughs> Comes sort of waltzing up and goes, Oh, that's nice, dear. You're going to introduce us, are you? And I said, No. I'm going to address the assembled throng. And she said, No, well, that's not convenient because there's 25 of us and we've got to be somewhere in an hour and a half. And I said, Yeah, well, there's about 50 people here, and they're here to see us, and we've been waiting for an hour and a half, and I've got the microphone. <laughs> she said, no, you haven't. I said, yes, I have. Anyway, I did what any self-respecting politician would do. I headbutted the bitch. <laughs> so I just want you to remember Election day, vote one for Action Man, the man with the eyebrows. And to make up for that politically incorrect deviation from the creed, here's the very powerful and very important Ziggy Ramo version of From Little Things, Big Things Grow. around people and I'll tell you a story 200 years of history that's falsified British invaders that we remember as heroes are you ready to tell the other side we start our story in 1493 with a piece of paper called the doctrine of discovery invoked by Pope Alexander VI Without this good Christian, our story don't exist. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Captain James Cook, he boarded a fleet. And he was armed with the doctrine of discovery. The same tactics were used by Columbus, it's how today Australia claims terra nullius. Cause on that paper, the Pope did write that you're only human if you've been saved by Christ. And if there are no Christians in sight, the land you stumble on becomes your God-given right. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Is that your Lord? Cause that's invasion. That's the destruction of 500 nations. The genocide of entire populations, which planted the seeds for the stolen generation and grew into my people's mass incarceration. Now we pass trauma through many generations. The Lord can't discover what already existed 
For 200 years, my people have resisted. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Wars continued since Captain James Cook And this side of history you don't write in your books You don't want the truth and you don't want to listen But how can you stomach Australia's contradiction Cause we went to war in 1945 We were allies against a terrible genocide And I know it's uncomfortable But the irony I see is that you Fall for them, but you don't fight for me. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. We should move on. Move on to what? I still remember. Have you forgot? That Vincent Langari knew others were rising. Gurindji inspired us to keep on fighting. So call it Australia. Go on, call it what you like. I just call it how I see it, and I see genocide. Now that you hear me, can you understand there will never be justice on our stolen land? From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. This is the story of so-called Australia, but this is the story of so much more. How power and privilege cannot move my people. We know where we stand. We stand in our law. From little things, big things grow. 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 And on 4ZZZ, you are listening to me, Jeff Ebbs, Fashion by Dad. Uh, we just heard uh, Ziggy Ramo and Paul Kelly with Ziggy's version of From Little Things, Big Things Grow. Long-form version of the song recounting the history of the document of discovery, the Pope's paper encouraging Christians to go out and conquer the world. Very, very powerful piece. Great to see uh, history being put in context like that. Very 
very uh, fantastic film clip too. One of the things that I love is Ziggy is standing on top of the opera house and it looks like there's a sort of cloud of light near him, some sort of alien creature, an ectoplasm sort of surrounding him. And as the camera zooms in, you realise that he's letting the red earth slip through his hand and it's blowing in the wind and catching the sunlight. Absolutely amazing, striking moment. Ziggy Ramo, R-A-M-O. Look up Ziggy. A little earlier I was talking about great notions. One of the great notions that this archetypal dad has had when you listen to someone like Ziggy Ramo and the doctrine of discovery, the notion of terra nullius, we often say in a welcome to country that sovereignty has never been ceded. But then when we get a statement like the Uluru statement from the heart, we just absolutely resist the sentiment in it. And it's not even asking for a return of sovereignty. It's just asking that Aboriginal sovereignty is recognised alongside the sovereignty of whitefellas. But when you look at Australia, the sovereignty is embedded in the Queen. If you own land, you don't own the minerals under the land. They belong to the Queen. They don't belong to the Commonwealth of Australia or the people of Australia or the person with the freehold document that says they own the land, they belong to the Queen. That's how mining companies pay royalty. Any land that has never been claimed, used by anyone else, is known as Crown land. It belongs to the Queen. So, it's the Queen's birthday festival in many parts of the country. Not here in Queensland where I'm referring broadcasting from. Uh, We've just had Harry and Megan's baby in the news. Talking about Harry the Eighth, earlier on Fashion by Dad. Maybe we should be thinking about actually getting rid of the royal family, having a proper republic, and all of those things in which we are currently have vested sovereignty, we could return to the First Nations people. Now, I'm not authorised to say that. I'm not a First Nations purple person. I'm descendant of settlers. told you a few stories about my Rechabite grandparents blowing up trees, bonfires, setting fire to people who sold grog. They weren't very kind people. That's my maternal side. I'm on my paternal side. I am the great-great-great-great-grandson of one of Cromwell's army who went into Ireland to kill the Catholic dogs. My uncle, who was a Catholic priest, Catholic father, yeah, Catholic priest, um, before he died offered me the family heirloom, a silver medal donated to an ancient Ebbs, If I'm as old as Methuselah, it could have been me. It could have been me getting the silver medal from Oliver Cromwell. And it's with ingratitude for killing Catholics in Ireland. I said, no, I don't, I don't want the thing. I don't know what you, as a Catholic priest, are, are doing, brandishing this, you know, relic of persecution as some kind of family heirloom. Anyway... We are what we are. That's what reconciliation is about. Enough of the harsh stuff. You're on Fashion by Dad on 4ZZZ FM, 4ZZZ.org.au. Uh, just before we went, I was um, talking about the notion of returning sovereignty from foreign royals to... First Nations people. I'm just posting a story to uh, fashionbydad.com on the topic story I wrote a couple of years ago 
about the concept. <coughs> Prince Andrew was in the news at the time, so I put a big red line through him. And the story's headed out with the Saxe-Coburg Gothers, because that was the family name. By Dad. By Dad. By Dad. By Dad.